0: Awful noise is somebody singing along to a performance of The Bodyguard at the Palace Theatre in Manchester this weekend. It's part of debate, that moment, a lot of feeling as well, about theatre etiquette and post pandemic audiences. This is the Manchester Weekly from the Mill. Hello there. Welcome to this episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mill, with me, Daryl Morris, and the Mill's editor, Yoshi Herman. Hello, Yoshi. Hello. How are you doing, Daryl? Very well, sir. Yes, very well. How are you? Good. I'm in
1: Sussex, actually, in rainy Sussex. It's not always sunny down here, and rainy in Manchester. It's very rainy here. Um, I'm at my mum's. I'm from Sussex. My mum lives
0: in Sussex, and uh,
1: so we're doing a sort of long-form um, podcast where you're up north and I'm down south.
0: Um, and it's horrible up here as well, by the way. It's absolutely hammering it down. And it's been so lovely. The Easter weekend, apart from Monday, was gorgeous uh, in Manchester. It can't uh, be hammering it down as much as it is here. It is absolutely tipping <laughs> it down. My
1: mum lives in this like old, very old house where like, you know, nothing is insulated. Air is coming in. Wind <laughs> is coming in from every possible angle. And um, yeah, so if there's a little bit of noise in the background, dear listeners, that's
0: what it is. How was Easter weekend?
1: Yeah, it was really good. Actually, uh, it was nice to have a yeah you know, such a long felt like such a long weekend off. Um, had my girlfriend down to to my mum's and her parents from Romania and stuff. So yeah, I had a really good time. How
0: was yours? Very good. Yeah, very nice. Thank you. Yes, we uh, yeah bit of bit of family, bit of chill. We did our uh, annual pilgrimage up Rivington Pike nice. um, in uh, in Bolton in Horwich uh, on Good Friday, which the whole town does. Uh, Is that a
1: recommended? Recommended walk.
0: Oh, I mean, just generally, yes, it's absolutely incredible. It's God's God's own country. It's beautiful. It's absolutely fantastic uh, up Rivington and Rivington Pike. Uh, but on Good Friday in particular, it is an annual tradition mm. that that people from sort of nearby uh, take a walk up there, and loads of burger vans go up there, and you know, like you know, like stuff like that, attraction type type stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, it's it's incredible. And some years it's horrible because it's hammering it down. But this Good Friday was glorious weather for it uh so i would stick that in your calendar for next good friday actually because it's it's a very 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 um nice thing to do to go up rivington pike that
1: Sounds uh, like a nice local tradition i might just go up rivington pike without the, the good friday um, you know, needing to wait for Good Friday, but that sounds really good.
0: Would recommend going have a look at Lord Leverhulme's garden and his house and all that sort of stuff up there. It's um, fabulous. I would highly recommend. Um, listen, we better crack on because we've got lots to talk about this week, uh, including some um, some classic local politics from Stockport, um, a story about a refugee, um, and also some uh, problems on Curry Mile as well that you've been considering in the mill this week. Um, uh, some of the restaurateurs. Uh, Kerry Miles, suggesting that it might be on the decline. We'll find out why shortly. Firstly, uh, to probably not just our top story uh, this week, Yoshi, but perhaps one of the biggest stories uh, in the country this weekend on what was a quiet uh, Easter weekend, uh, which was uh, the Palace Theatre and a debacle at the Good Friday showing of the Bodyguard at the Palace Theatre. Just remind us what happened.
1: Okay, so the Bodyguard um, is a musical... That is on at the moment, and I kind of knew about it because I'd seen the signs and people I knew had gone gone along to it. So the bodyguard is a it's a popular show. Uh, came to Manchester, and you know it's got some Whitney Houston songs in it. Um, so there's a it's a, there are plenty of things that people could sort of sing along to. I think is what I'm trying to say here. And it was made very clear by the Palace Theatre that people were not supposed to sing along. So signs were posted around the venue asking public not to sing along. The MEN wrote this big review kind of pointing out how strictly this not singing along was was encouraged, you know, with, with the signs and with people mentioning it to you and that kind of thing. And obviously people did sing along and they were ejected by staff for kind of ruining the show for other people. And the performance was brought to an end uh, apparently, about ten minutes before the end, so police were called um, about these disturbances, and a spokesperson for the theatre said that the last ten minutes of the show uh, needed to be cancelled due to disruptive customers, um, quote, refusing to stay seated and spoiling the performance for
0: others. Do you want to hear? Do you want to hear it? Because uh, we've got some audio, this is from uh, this is some audio that Carl Bradley sent me, uh, who is a, who was a theatre goer. He was there on the night. Uh, here is the awful sound of somebody trying to sing over uh, "I Will Always Love You." <laughs> i can understand why people uh were getting annoyed about that on the night and um, it's it's a bit bigger than just somebody singing along though isn't it this yoshi it's a it's a bigger story
1: yeah so according to some tweets from a producer called Lossie holder the singing along wasn't kind of like the only issue she tweeted singing is not why police were called police were called because front of house and security staff were verbally and physically assaulted on multiple occasions throughout the show by audience members. So that's clearly like a much bigger allegation that's being made there. Now, like one theatre blogger was kind of mentioning the MEN review and saying like it stoked the flames by putting so much focus on the not singing thing. Not sure I entirely sort of buy that, but that's what some people on Twitter were saying. There's since been an MEN story kind of from the other perspective where a woman's claiming that security workers dragged her partner out of the palace theater after he waved his arms during a performance i.e., wasn't that disruptive um this woman claims that security workers there were acted like prison guards and made people feel very uncomfortable so there's it is disputed i think exactly what happened inside here i wasn't in the theater and, and and i think like um You know, I think if listeners demand that I put a reporter on this for the next two weeks to figure out exactly what happened, you know, we're more than happy to do that. But at the moment, there are these slightly competing accounts of what actually happened. But clearly, it got really chaotic. Clearly, it was really unpleasant. It wasn't just like a, a, you know, lol, lol, someone just sang along. It was worse than that. And I think there's subsequently been some sort of online drama about it as well.
0: Mm. Let's hear from somebody that I spoke to about this over the weekend. Joshua Leah, who is a musical theatre star, he's been on tour with Nine to Five the musical. I spoke to him on my Times Radio show and asked for his thoughts on this particular incident.
2: Not surprised. Um, I think it's the first thing that comes to light. As uh, we spoke about just before we came on, it is news and it has made big news. But this happens a lot, and it's not been documented enough and. The more it gets documented, the more, I hope, it'll get stopped. But until then, I think every single incident like this needs to be brought to light. Um, but until it does, we can't really crack down on it. So um, glad that it's come to news, but not surprised that it's happened.
0: And when you say it happens a lot, what what is a lot? How much is a lot?
2: Um, well... My experience of let's say Manchester just alone, we had when we toured with a nine to five about a year and a half ago. uh, We had a show stop every night when we were in Manchester, due to if that was even just uh, people shouting or if it was a physical altercation or just random little bits and bobs. It was really it was every night, and that's not the only venue. It happens in a lot of venues all around the country. Gosh,
0: so so, hang on—is this something we need to talk about Manchester here?
2: (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think it's just Manchester. i just just off the top of my head thinking about from last night. I think that's just... Right. Um, that was just yeah. your experience. And, and so just, just, to, just to clarify as well,
0: it's happening a lot. Is it happening more? Are we seeing it as, as, as a growing trend or has it always happened?
2: I think it's always happened. I do think there's an increase though. Um, I think definitely in the past couple of years, especially out of COVID, I think a lot of um, etiquette has kind of dropped since then. A lot of people... have wow necessarily forgotten how to act in a theatre and being around other people in that kind of setting. It's almost like um, people think that they're watching the TV again and they can just talk over. um, But that certainly isn't the case. Uh, That being said, it's always been around. There's always been, you're always going to find rude people or people feel they can talk and sing over uh, when others are performing. But um, yeah, it's definitely on the rise
0: right that is so fascinating let's just dwell, dwell on that for a moment you you say that post covid post kind of lockdowns people coming back to the theaters have forgotten how to behave in theaters
2: yeah definitely
0: 100 percent and is there do you think is there something about about this sort of built-up tension do you think post pandemic is that people are i mean going out to the theater i mean i I've, i kind of experienced this as well as somebody you know I, I, when when on the a couple of occasions that um that i've been out to the theater since lockdown ended it's a big event, it feels different, it feels like, you know, it it, it feels like something that was forbidden for so long and that there's perhaps a bit of a built-up tension there that's bubbling over for people.
2: Yeah, I I think so. I think also it's a case of just when that luxury and that privilege has been taken away for uh, about two years, really, altogether, I think when you haven't experienced something in so long, you are right, it feels special for a lot of people, but for other people, I feel like, when you all you had for two years was watching a screen and and reacting in that way, and it was just the idea of everything was either interactive or you watched a screen completely. That mm. when you are put in that situation again, they I, I feel like it is just an almost like neglecting the idea of like just you can just sit and experience it. Almost like being in the cinema, almost because I feel like that's always worse as well. Yeah, obviously the, yeah. the the main difference being that if you talk in the cinema. Other people tell you to be quiet, but if you talk in a, in a theatre, that you're disrupting people trying to put on a show. At the end of the day, but it's mostly media, I think. So, well, like I said about cinemas and stuff, and and theatres in general. If anybody has to sit and watch something, I think the there's such a lack of focus and attention towards it. Even the like, last show I did, Sister Actors, the amount of warnings that had to be given out just by people on phones and it wasn't even like it was people recording it's just <laughs> scrolling through instagram and it, surely you could put that down for two hours mm, very interesting and and Josh, joshua sort of saying there that, that this is a
0: problem that this has always been a problem um mm. but it's a problem that's clearly getting worse as audiences are coming back to the theater after the pandemic
1: yeah that's really interesting i mean the bbc kind of slightly suggested the same they did a piece about theater etiquette and you know competing ideas about like should people be able to sing along or not I I feel like a bit underqualified here because I don't go to musicals like I've been to them in the past but I don't really go to them on a regular basis so I don't know like how normal it is for people to sing along I know there are some shows where it's like sing along at the end like you go to more musicals than me how like unusual is it for people in the audience to be singing along to like big tracks I don't know what
0: gave you the impression I go to loads of musicals. Oh, you mentioned,
1: <laughs> oh, you've mentioned on the podcast you've you sort of recommended a few.
0: Yeah, ones. okay, I do. I do. Yeah, fair, fair. Okay, so I I, I do uh, occasionally dip into the West End when I've got a loose a loose a loose afternoon uh, in London. Um, no, I've never seen it really. Well, I tell you, I tell you what, it's quite. I suppose it's interesting because there are some musicals that are notorious for you being able to sing along, where you're kind of encouraged to sing along and you're encouraged to get involved. Right. More more contemporary kind of examples of that would be Anne Juliet, which was, she sort of like, didn't really like it, actually. It's basically a pop concert um, mm-hmm. on on stage. And that, that tour and was in Manchester as well. And that's very kind of get involved-y, get involved-y. Yeah. Um, also, more, perhaps more famously and more iconically, uh, you know, if you think about things like the Rocky Horror show, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, um, where you are encouraged to basically be part of the cast, I mean you dress up there's kind of recall moments there's moments where you're you're supposed to sort of shout out and the, you know if you're a big fan it's got a big cult following. you will know all those moments that as an audience you 're supposed to chip in and you kind of you know you contribute to the to the show um I guess it's I, what what one thing I did find very interesting about what Joshua said about the post pandemic thing is the way that our behaviors have changed mm. and obviously people have perhaps lost sight of theater uh, uh, of of musical theater uh etiquette but also the fact that people are just much more distracted they're much more on their phones scrolling through instagram rather than rather than paying attention and, and i think there's something for us to kind of you know there's a lot there's a lot of debris isn't there post pandemic and i think this is probably part part of that but isn't there also a question of just like drinking like
1: you know i'm not you know i i think that Manchester's nightlife is amazing. And like as you know, just like me personally, like I, I like to meet people going for a few drinks and stuff. So I'm not, I'm not going to suddenly start policing like how much people want to drink. But I spoke to someone who went to this show, The Bodyguard, and she mentioned that when she booked her ticket, there was sort of alcohol potentially bundled in, right? So now let me go on the website now. Let's do this together. I'm on the website uh, to buy tickets for this show. Okay, the bodyguard. Yeah. My ticket. Okay, I'm going to pick a ticket. Okay, I'm doing this now. I'm going to pick a ticket in the stalls. Okay, this ticket is going to cost 49 quid. Okay, fine. I can either buy the full price ticket or I can get the Manchester bundle, which includes a drink from the bar, a bottle of water, a tub of crisps, and ice cream. Okay, I'm going to go for that. That's £64. Okay, so you're paying an extra 15 quid or whatever. Okay, fine. Yeah. I've got that already now. I'm going to pay for my tickets. And now I'm on the ticket screen... And they're offering me other things I can add. Okay, what do you think I can add? I can add a glass of Prosecco. Get your evening off to the perfect start with a delicious glass of fruity and fragrant Vitelli Prosecco. Fine, I'm adding that, All right? It's up to £72. I can also add two glasses of double measure gin and tonic. Treat yourselves with two G&Ts to enjoy before the show or during the interval. Fine, add that. Bottle of Prosecco. Get your evening off to the perfect start by sharing a delicious bottle of fruity... I mean... Obviously, you know you can add as many bottles of prosecco as you want, but like a bottle of prosecco before you go into a mm. show, like, mm. like like I've the reason I find this is like kind of amusing is like I've gone to the theatre a lot, you know, I go to operas and stuff sometimes, but like I've never seen alcohol so clearly marketed as part of the ticket buying process. I, I mean, I mean, maybe I'm wrong about this, but like that seems like a very Almost aggressive attempt to get people drinking or to make money from people drinking. So maybe like the people who put on these shows should give a second's thought to like, well, if if the the ticket buying flow involves offering a glass of prosecco or two glasses of double measured G and T or a bottle of prosecco, like you know this Manchester package that already involves a drink like thrown in mm. along with your food and stuff, like they're they're, they're massively encouraging like a very boozy. Theatre-going culture there, aren't they?
0: Well, that that feels more like a gig, then, right?
1: Right, but 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 they but but obviously they don't want people to sing, so it's not like a gig because yeah, you yeah. could sing. So mm. I, th- I don't think this is just about like I don't think this is just about changing habits after the pandemic or whatever. It's I think it's, if it's like if 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 the people putting on these shows are trying to massively increase their profit margins by selling loads and loads of booze to you, um then yeah you're gonna have these kind of you kind of reap what you sow i think um as well yeah well you're gonna have rowdy people aren't you but you know (laughs) basically yeah yeah i mean i personally Mm. i personally don't get the idea of like getting really drunk before a show it's like you know go go and go and get drunk after a show maybe but i i find that i find that that whole thing a bit bizarre but um yeah there's got to be a bit of culpability on behalf of the companies as well
0: yeah Indeed. Okay, that's very interesting. Well, we'll keep an eye on that and uh, see how... The, the bodyguard's got a couple of days left. Are you going to buy that ticket, are you, Yoshi? Can we go together with <laughs> yeah, the total, so my
1: ticket total, my <laughs> ticket total with, with the bottle of Prosecco and everything, £140. Wowza. So, yeah, I'll, I'll just buy that right now.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I'll see you there. Um, let's move on to another story that's been um, in the news this week, and that of a refugee father and his family who claim that they've been left homeless following allegations that he was assaulted at a hotel housing asylum seekers. Uh, who is this, Yoshi, and what's happened?
1: Yeah, so you're quoting an MEN story there, or at least it's a local democracy reporting story that's appeared on the MEN. Um, this is Shay Babagar, um, his wife and also his daughter, who have kind of not had anywhere to live since leaving this hotel in November. So... The, the, the hotel, as you know, asylum-seeking hotels, they are, tend to be operated by Serco in Greater Manchester. Serco completely refutes what I'm about to tell you, this account that, that, that is, is being reported. Police are apparently investigating this apparently alleged assault, but Serco says you know they completely refute it. So Jack is currently trying to get to the bottom of this story a bit more and, and, and speaking to people there. So this is kind of the first version of it. But the local Democracy, democracy Reporting Service um, says that the family um, of, of Shai uh, Babagar, they arrived in, in Greater Manchester uh, last year. They're fleeing Pakistan. Um, he's 35, and apparently he was involved in some sort of dissident political groups, um, in, in which which would mean that it would be difficult to return to Pakistan. Now, the thing that really caught my eye about this story is that the local democracy reporting service says that protesters stormed Stockport council offices on Tuesday demanding that the family is housed immediately so it's kind of like trying to put pressure on the council to find a solution to this problem whereas the council says that the home office is responsible because as we know um, accommodation for asylum seekers is commissioned by the home office and it's you know the contracts are picked up by people like Serco so this is a bit of a placeholder because I think we need to find out more about the alleged assault um also about like how the council is going to respond to this um and jack is kind of looking into it in a moment but i wonder whether and it's maybe a little bit speculative but i wonder whether it's like a a a bit of a sign of the kind of pressure is it that is on some of these you know these systems that accommodate asylum seekers we've reported on before about allegations that some of these hotels are are substandard um and they don't provide a good accommodation. Here you've got a family saying they're assaulted and refusing to go back to any of these hotels and saying find us something another accommodation. Be interesting to see if the council feels under pressure to actually do something about that. But let's maybe um, return to it next week when there's a bit more detail.
0: Okay. Uh we will. Take us to Stockport then, Yoshi, in the meantime, where the Mill published an interesting weekend read about a split in the Labour Party there, focusing on a councillor called Matt Wynne. Uh, who did represent labor but now doesn't what's going on here
1: yeah he de- he doesn't and he's now leading a little sort of mini rebellion Well, not a rebellion but a f- sort of fight back so win represents a seat called Edgley and Cheadle Heath um a ward in 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 Stockport. and you know if you go to if you go down to you know watch Stockport county or whatever i think you're pretty much in that in that neck of the woods um he was prevented from standing as a labor candidate in next month's local elections by what he describes as a hard left cult that has taken over the local party and disenfranchised moderate voters. Now, with all these stories, of course, the people who are fighting against the sort of Corbynite left describe the Corbynite left as sort of the hard left and a hard left cult and that kind of thing. And they describe themselves as moderates, whereas obviously if you spoke to the people on the Corbynite left in these disputes... They would describe describe the moderates as sort of right wingers or you know Tories in disguise or whatever, but the point in this story was that we tried pretty hard to speak to some of the people who had kicked win out or who had allegedly organized for win to be um kicked out as a labor candidate, and they didn't want to speak to us. You're slightly left with the framing from from his perspective, but when I think there's an interesting thing here where like win is talking about local events in Labour branches that you hear about quite a lot about meetings becoming unpleasant and about certain types of people taking over the you know the docket and 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 kind of using the rule book against them like this is a classic old thing in the Labour Party going back to like Tony Benn and long before that that sometimes people on the left of the party are better at using the mechanisms um, of the party to get their way in local meetings now we got one email from a mill reader a, re- a mill subscriber someone who i who, who who's been subscribing for a while he said br- and he's talking about this very ward edgeley um sorry not yeah, yeah, yeah he's talking about he's not exactly this edgeley and, and Cheadle heath ward yeah he says branch meetings are dominated by the same hard left members who seem to revel in opaque bureaucracy and needless ped- pedantry read the party rulebook, or worse shout down others voice disagreement it can be a fairly hostile atmosphere and has put off many new members from attending including myself frankly i don't have the time or energy
0: after a day of work right give us a broader significance then of, of what this means um in terms of stockport at this moment in time
1: yeah so i think there's the before we zoom out to stockport i think there's an interesting thing about win himself like i I don't know the rights and wrongs exactly of this dispute. And it's one of those ones where like, you get these disputes in local Labour branches between so-called moderates and so-called hard left or so-called right-wingers and so-called sensible socialists quite a lot. I think Wynne is interesting because I think he represents or he thinks he represents a sort of older brand of Labour working-class politics. There's a quote in the piece where he tells Jack, our our reporter, as I've got older, I've come face-to-face with this Liberal, urban, progressive labor politics, politics, which is where there's the, there's this schism like that. That's how he describes it. So I think he himself is sort of an interesting example of like a, this bit of a culture war between some of the more educated, more ideological people within labor and some of the more slightly more old school. The other reason I think it's interesting is that Stockport is this real political battleground. So next month's elections, we're in April now, right? Next month's elections, early May. You've got elections across Greater Manchester. In Stockport, they represent an opportunity for Labour to take the council back. So it's currently a council that's um, no, in no overall control, but uh, the Lib Dems are the biggest party. Labour has the opportunity to overturn that. Obviously, big national polling leads should help, but obviously the local party has got all these sort of splits happening. Um, in the next general election, the Lib Dems have really got a big opportunity to take back some of these remaining, you know, Tory seats. Um, so you've got, uh, Hazel Grove and Cheadle, for example. So the Lib Dems are really like working hard to, 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 to take back the balance of power in terms of they, th- those are really important seats for the Lib Dems. So that's another reason why Stockport's really interesting. And then there's just like this thing about independence. I mean, you are from Bolton, so, you know, like Bolton politics is dominated by independence. I've written about the independence in, um, in, up in, uh, In Oldham, right, you've got you in in various towns in Oldham, you've got like an independent um, revival. Um, You've got the Failsworth Independent Party who I've written about with my Rajamir stuff. You've got some um, independence in Bury now as well. And it basically causes chaos to the main parties. Maybe that's a good thing. But generally speaking, these independent parties, they make it harder for the bigger parties to sort of get overall control of a borough. It'd be really interesting to start see if that happens in Stockport a bit more. There's always been these independent ratepayers in Stockport who've been influential. Now Wynne is creating his own little grouping. It's called the Edgley Community Association. He's got a few candidates already. Jack went along to the meeting. So if, if you haven't read the piece yet, go and read that. But every week now, I think we're going to be talking about the local elections because it's less than a month away. And that's just one of the interesting storylines that we thought would pull out.
0: Okay, brilliant. Loads of loads more coverage on that and everything you need to know from the local elections. Manchesterbuild.co.uk is the place to subscribe to get brilliant coverage of that over the next couple of weeks as we get towards the 4th of May. Take us to Curry Mile uh, in the meantime, Yoshi. Um, uh, uh, a much-revered part of the, the place, an iconic part of uh, Manchester that a lot of people love, that apparently is under threat.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think under threat might be a bit of an exaggeration, but there was this interesting observer story um, over the it's weekend. not like me to exaggerate, Yoshi. No, hey. no, exactly. I've never, <laughs> never accused you of clickbait or anything like that. But um, there was a story in The Observer that, that basically quoted business owners on Wilmsow Road saying, you know, talking about rising levels of crime, um, customers being put off by this, um, or obviously also the other pressures about cost of living crisis and that kind of thing. So there's a great quote here uh, from Ali Yassin, an owner of Crunchy Fried Chicken, and crunchy is spelled with a K in this context. If you're looking up um, Ali's restaurant, he says people used to be out four or five times a week. Now it's maybe just once. So that's like an interesting he, he reckons like uh, as a result of cost of living stuff and these other factors to do with crime, people are coming out less to, the, to his restaurant and the ones around them. And then we've got Ali Hassan, who's the manager of another restaurant um on the curry mile. He says, I've reported three guys with knives on the street out here. Five people with a car who smashed into that shop. Some guys with knives who stole a guy's bike and stabbed him. That's why families stopped coming. So there's a focus on um crime as well. I have to say like I walk up and down there quite a bit and get the bus through there. I haven't like noticed it being a sort of really threatening area or or, or that being like a really big issue. But that's what this um that's what this story is 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 reporting. And it comes against this backdrop of like hospitality and like um, restaurants are like really, really struggling with basically, you know, everything's costing more. Um, they can't put up their prices in line with it. Otherwise they'll lose all their customers. So, or, uh, so they're like choosing between, you know, having fewer customers or halving their margins sort of thing. So that's the, that's the backdrop here. But yeah, it's an interesting story in the observer. If people want to go and find that um, it's called Rats, Crime and Inflation, Fears for the Future of Manchester's Famed Curry Mile,
0: okay. um,
1: which was um, out in the Observer.
0: Is that the number 50 bus that you get through there?
1: Oh, God, I can't even remember. It's, I, I tried to get the magic one, magic bus. Yeah, they're like, a bit cheaper, like, £1. aren't they? £1.50. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it's just me and like 50 students talking about their, <laughs> their interesting, always interesting like dating lives and private lives. You hear hear, hear about everyone chatting around you on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're going to town, on if you if you're on that road,
0: yeah, yeah. It's, do you know what? It's a great route, It's an iconic route. I, when I was when me and my ex girlfriend first started dating, she was living in Fallowfield. She was a student in Fallowfield, and it, uh, that is an iconic route in, in and out of uh, of town. Many I'm happy memories about, on the 50
1: to, I'm about to live um, down in um, Lady Barn, so not quite Fallowfield, but right on the edge of it. Um, so there
0: will be a lot of Lady Barn based content coming out of this podcast um, very soon. Excellent. Bring it on. Um, take us to Salford, Yoshi, where I am right now, uh, because there is, this is a local councillor who's who's, um, uh, who's got a thing or two to say about Greater Manchester and travelling communities.
1: Yeah, so the, the context here is that Salford has just agreed to allow five traveller communities um, who've been living in and, and keeping horses um, on a site in Swinton to stay on indefinitely. This is a story from the local democracy reporting service. Um, and... The, the reason that it's come to my attention is this councillor, John warmisham my Salford councillor, he's come out and said, I don't think Greater Manchester does enough for the travelling community. Too many councils in Greater Manchester don't have travelling sites, which is something we've reported on before when Molly went to meet um, uh, travelling families in Bolton about a year ago. So that's like, uh, that, that I I just thought it would be worth highlighting because it's always one of those ones where like the local communities don't really want to deal with it. And this um councillor john warmisham he's basically been working with the council to, to to sort out this particular situation the families um have been occupying uh two caravans and a static mobile home um, and uh, along with two amenity buildings according to the the democracy reporting service they were given permission to remain on the land at lum's lane um, clifton in 2016 but for a time limited period and now they've got like a they've got this this more permanent agreement
0: so yeah really interesting um, topic i think fab and to some arches in um this is a corporation street isn't it which is kind of like city center sort of way uh and there are some there are some arches people will know them as these sort of like really dirty rundown slightly derelict uh old arches but they're gonna get a facelift
1: yeah completely um 10 arches on corporation street um, this is a four million pound sort of uh, project, and apparently it's part of a national thing called the Arch Company, um, and they're bringing like loads and loads of empty derelict um, spaces across the country um, back. So it's quite quite clever actually, because if you go in like I don't know if you've ever been out in like Peckham in London, there's like a bunch of bars in Arches there. Um, obviously that you've got it in Manchester along uh, Whitworth Lock, uh, Whitworth um, Whitworth Street, haven't you? Mm-hmm. So so it's kind of a clever idea. It's like because often they're owned by like the rail companies and stuff, these areas. So, um, yeah, you can fit bars in them. You can fit restaurants in Hearn Hill. I've been to a cafe in in Arches and stuff. So this is happening everywhere, but this particular developer, um, owns loads of arch spaces in, in Manchester and Salford. Um, and they're, they're already redeveloping some, some of these spaces on Temperance street and Bennett street. Um, and, 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 and they're, they're, I think they're done, um, the the, the the land often has to come from network rail because because obviously these, these were railway arches originally. Um, so yeah, be there, in this particular development, which I think is what you actually wanted to know from me, there are going to be shops, are there are going to be restaurants, are there are going to be cafes
0: and all that sort of gear. So um, more arch developments to come. Nice, and I've seen some of the pictures of of what the plants look like. looks looks lovely, and they are great spaces, aren't they? Arches are really great spaces for little bars and cafes, and you know, bike shops and stuff like that. Uh, They're they're a bit uh, they're a bit lacking
1: in sort of natural light, aren't they? Sometimes you go into the arch and you like go in for your little brunch at the back of the arch, and then you're in sort of almost entirely in in darkness. But um, definitely, like, feels like a good little
0: nook and crannies of cities to be using yeah definitely definitely absolutely um okay uh good stuff that's you pretty much briefed on what you need to know this week uh, just take us into the mill newsroom briefly though yoshi and the bits and bobs that you're working on at the moment what should we know it's absolute chaos in the mill newsroom. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying to work out what on earth to do now jack's about to go on
1: holiday for a few days so we're so we're, we're um we're lining up a few great stories look we've actually got some really interesting stuff at the moment we've got a really interesting long read about an art gallery in rochdale that we're looking at um, we've got a really interesting piece about a little bakery in um, in Anco. So we've got quite a few of these sort of impressionistic mill-type stories, and we're looking into this this story about the asylum seekers in Stockport. So, yeah, nice mix of things coming up, hopefully.
0: Fab. Okay, manchestermill.co.uk is where you go to subscribe to that. We also like to give you some stuff to do uh, around Greater Manchester. If you've got the energy after the bank holiday weekend, um, what's going on? Well, you've got the marathon on Sunday. I think I've actually
1: never—I don't think I've ever watched the marathon in Manchester, but that's that's like a big day out, and um, it snakes all around the city. So look out on the on the website for for places to look at that. Um, and I think you've got one down at Victoria Baths, haven't you?
0: Yeah, there's, uh, the Spring Fest is happening at Victoria Baths this weekend, uh, which is obviously just a, uh, Victoria Bath's just a lovely place to go anyway, isn't it, really? Just to go and have a look. Uh, but they've got a, a bit of a festival kind of vibe on on Saturday uh, where they've got music and stalls and food and stuff going on. So I think that just looks like it'd be nice. If, you, if you're at a loose end on Saturday afternoon, a nice thing to do, I would suggest. De-
1: definitely. Can I recommend something that isn't to do, but it's to read? Yes, please. I thought a really interesting piece that I think a lot of our listeners, because they're interested in cities, that kind of thing, Great interesting read on a website called Heat Map, how Tokyo became an anti-car paradise. And it's, it's about like how, why it is that Tokyo has such amazing public transport, so few cars, why it's like um, managed to pull that off. It's from a new book that's out by um, a journalist at The Economist called Daniel Knowles. Um, he He's written a book called... Um, carmageddon how cars make life worse and what to do about it and this i think this piece is a long extract from his book basically but i think given that we've talked a lot about pedestrianization uh, whether you know we, we want fewer cars in manchester how to how to achieve that the b network and stuff i thought that would be an interesting read for our listeners to go and have a look at and tell us what they think how tokyo became an anti-car paradise on a on a website called heat
0: map excellent very good that's what we have Nice. I like the idea of that a lot. Um hey, thank you for being with us this week. Also just one final nod by the way. Don't forget the bodyguard is still on at the Palace Theatre uh, oh, yeah. over the weekend.
1: Stock up on your uh, Prosecco and it, pop down.
0: Yeah, I mean if you uh, if you if you go there on Saturday night, you'll find Yoshi uh, being bundled out uh, about 10 minutes to go clutching a bottle of Prosecco. Yeah. Um enjoy. Um don't forget to subscribe Uk is where you get quality news in your in- inbox and you can subscribe to this podcast as well. You'll find us every Thursday in your podcast feed leaving comments helps other people find us as well so please do that but for now yoshi thank you thanks very much